Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Experiments Web Clinic audio replay. Marketing Experiments is an online marketing research laboratory. The Web Clinic you are about to hear is broadcast live to an international audience of marketing professionals. Sign up to be invited to future Web Clinics, as well as gain updates on our research, by visiting marketingexperiments.com. I don't know how many people we have, but I think we are entirely booked up, so a word of advice for all those joining us, once you're logged on, don't, uh, don't log off or you may not be able to get back on. Many of you might have been with us for our last web clinic when we discussed the most surprising wins from 2009, and if not, the replay of that clinic along with the uh, research brief discussing those experiments is now available on marketexperiments.com. While we were able to offer many takeaways for maximizing return on your online marketing in 2010, we didn't have a chance in those 60 minutes to dive deeply into optimizing your email. I am Greg Birmingham, the president of Marketing Experiments. It's great to be with you today. I am not the new guy. I've been a marketer for almost 30 years, and I've been running Marketing Experiments uh, since 2008. But today my team bullied me into getting behind the microphone, so here I am. Uh, throughout this year, in 2009, I've traveled across the country talking to our various research partners, attending marketing events, conducting training and certification courses, and everywhere I go, email is always a very hot topic. So I brought some of our scientists in from the lab today to share some research with you and discuss ways you can optimize your email campaigns. With me today are Boris. Say hello, Boris. Hello, everyone. Boris is really better looking than his picture. <laughs> okay. uh, if you're a repeat offender on these uh, events, you will recognize Boris, and you've heard him present on webinars before. He has real skill for dissecting the data and finding the gems. We have uh, Heather Andrick. Heather, say hello. Hi, everyone. Heather's also been featured on some previous webinars, and she's been working very closely with that particular research partner of ours that is a major email marker. So we're dragging her along today to class up our act. <laughs> Thank you, Heather. Uh, Corey Trent, say hi. Good afternoon, everyone. Corey is a master with analytics and metrics, and he will help us mere mortals to turn all of this data uh, from our case study today into useful and actionable takeaways. So to help understand the challenges email marketers face and opportunities in 2010, your customer's view of email marketing efforts, uh, we utilized the 2010 email marketing benchmark report from our sister company, Marketing Sherpa, I'm sure many of you are familiar with. According to this report, retaining existing customers is your peers' most important email marketing concern, closely followed by the generation of new sales leads. And that certainly makes a lot of sense when you look at our current economic conditions. Now, of course, retention, certainly list retention when you're talking about email sends, can be a scary thing uh, when that unsubscribe link is just a quick a click away. So let's let's take a look at what customers are telling us about why they might unsubscribe. Relevance is obviously a key issue here, and uh, and so is frequency. So these are the topics that we're going to be discussing today. We're going to try and help you know what to say and when to say it to keep your customers and to maximize revenue, and then how to listen to make sure you're really moving the needle. Okay, so everybody in emails heard about relevancy and frequency and metrics. The problem is, while most of us are familiar, familiar with these concepts, it's also safe to say that many of us aren't entirely sure how to maximize their impact in our email campaigns. Today's uh, presentation and discussion is going to be very interesting for you because we recently worked with a company that sends more than a billion emails per year, 
And in the process, we learn some things about relevancy and frequency and metrics that you may not have heard before. Before we dig down into our first case study and look at an email-specific example of relevance, let's talk about relevance at a more general level. I know many of you are thinking that creating relevant marketing is nothing new. It's just marketing 101, and I agree. But in spite of that, it seems that many really good professionals continually communicate to their customers things that their customers simply don't care about. Why do we do that? Why do experienced professional marketers sometimes miss the boat on something so basic? Well, the answer is just as basic. It's quite easy for any of us to drink the Kool-Aid of our own organization we're working for and get very excited about the latest feature or function and the value that should be obvious to everybody else, right? So we confidently charge out and broadcast it to the world. But as marketers, we must remain skeptics. And we must remember that the postmodern consumer we're dealing with has been inundated with marketing messages throughout their whole life. And they are not only skeptical, but cynical and suspicious. And what seems obvious to us may mean nothing to them. Now, I'm going to give you a, uh, a, a sorry example from my own career here, but uh, uh, feel free to use the Q&A feature to share uh, your own experiences and to ask any questions that you may have throughout the clinic. And we'll try and answer as many of those as we can possibly get to. Well, so here's my guilty uh, example. Years ago, and I won't tell you how many, I was involved in marketing a new software-based telephone system that was designed for small to medium businesses. And this thing would do absolutely anything. It was state-of-the-art with a point-and-click GUI interface that was just beyond cool. Uh, we figured we really wouldn't even need much marketing because it should just sell itself, right? Has anybody heard that one before? Anyway, we failed to learn before our launch that the guy making the buying decision for telephone systems was that same guy who yells out the door of his office for somebody to help him transfer a phone call or to put somebody on hold. And eventually, through a process of trial and error, we learned too late that most of our target audience was used to using buttons on a telephone handset or yelling at their secretary for help, and they didn't care at all about fancy state-of-the-art desktop software GUI interfaces. What they really wanted to know was, how much does it cost, and does it work like my old phone system, because I don't want to change the way I do things. We didn't have the most compelling answer for that one. Fancy state of the art, our telephone systems cost a lot, a lot of money, and you have to learn how to use them. So in short, our company was mostly made up of software engineers and high-tech geeks who were in love with our own invention that we'd slaved over for years. But our passion for our product couldn't make up for the fact that our product and our message was just not relevant to the bulk of our target audience. Now, the good news is that eventually we're able to identify segments within the broad market that we're interested in uh, that valued our unique value proposition, and we were successful in offering a product and a message that was relevant to those segments. So now I'll ask Boris to show you an example of what I'm talking about in this experiment. Boris? Thanks, Greg. Um, I don't know if we can quite compete with that example, but let's see what we can do here. Uh, as Greg said, we're not here to preach relevance. Uh, that's something that's been a buzzword for a long time. And in fact, uh, when I was at Marking Sherpa's uh, email summit last year, I think I picked up one of the vendor's books, and it had a substantial amount of space dedicated to the idea of relevance and explaining what it is. So we're not, hopefully I'm not here to, to open anyone's eyes to the idea of relevance, but perhaps offer some ideas of how to, how to get to relevance. So we're looking at this case study here from... Uh, 
marketing service research library on AmericanGreetings.com, and they had a pretty straightforward problem, problem that many marketers experienced. They had a house list that was not segmented, and here's what they did to get um, kind of creative in segmenting their list. They looked at the transactional data from their customers. So what they did is they uh, basically took a look at their previous purchasing history, and they identified two broad segments, customers that tend to send traditional e-cards and those that tend to send more humorous ones. Um, so this might seem like a very simple distinction, but this allows them to get to some uh, pretty serious results. So let's take a look at the email that they sent. On the left, you see the traditional e-card. On the right, you see the humorous one. Um, of course, the humorous one has uh, quite a few more monkeys on it than the traditional, and also has uh, different copy as well. And let's take a look at the results that American Greetings got here. So you can see there was a 70% increase in conversion rate. That's a pretty healthy uh, number. And Kelly, uh, Kathy Heck from AmericanGreetings.com said that we're, more, uh, we're getting more of them to come to the site and to take us up on that offer because they're seeing an offer that's incredibly relevant to them. So what, what's, uh, what's really important here? One, I want to emphasize the importance of testing. This is just one test that American Greetings uh, ran comparing their segmented list performance to the control to the unsegmented, unsegmented emails. But I would encourage you also to test other ways of, seg uh, to seg of segmenting your list. For example, you could look at other kinds of data. Uh, let's say this weren't uh, St. Patrick's Day, but let's say it was a Valentine's Day um, offer. In that case, humorous versus traditional could be one way to segment your list, but another pro probably very valuable way to segment your list would be by gender, male versus female, because there would be two different kinds of cards, there could be two different kinds of messages you want to deliver in your email, and it gives you an opportunity to make that email even that much more relevant. Uh, so in this case, uh, American Greetings segmented the list based on a key aspect of value, people who appreciated the more humorous uh, version versus the traditional one, but there's other ways as well we'll talk about in a minute, like psychographics and so on. So uh, now we all know that relevance is important. So let's take a look at this study from Marketing Sherpa that really proves that. It's, they surveyed marketers just like you to show that you can see in the upper right corner we have this uh, delivering content relevant to segment. You can see along the core, uh, vertical axis that it's very effective. It's the most effective tactic. On the other hand, along the horizontal axis, you see it's the most difficult one to implement. So what does that mean? What can we do as marketers to uh, get the most ROI out of segmentation? Uh, in fact, uh, at Marketing Experience, when we work with our research, uh, research partners, we spend a substantial amount of time really slicing and dicing their data, looking at their transactional data, looking at their uh, web analytics data, looking at the basically the customer's behavior, doing regression analysis, and so on, in order to be able to come up with the meaningful segments that then we can use to craft more relevant messages. So what can you, what can you do yourself? Uh, other than, of course, us sending out our sciences team to your office directly, here are some, some tactics that you can use in kind of your everyday marketing um, life to get more relevance. Let's take a look at we call the, the marketing experiments email messaging heuristic. Those of you who are, uh, have been to our web clinics in the past and have been to our events and so on know that marketing experiments is kind of known for putting together these heuristics in order to make it easier for us as marketers to uh, analyze, identify contributing, contributing factors in any problem, and then be able to solve it. So in this case, the email messaging heuristic is focused on understanding how can we increase the effectiveness 
of an email message. Now, I'm not going to go through the entire heuristic in detail, except just to point out that um, what it states, essentially, is that uh, email messaging effectiveness is a function of uh, the sum of the offer itself and an incentive multiplied by or really amplified by its relevance to the customer. And then on the negative side, you have the elements of friction and anxiety uh, that will deter the customer's action. Now, again, we're not going to go through details here, although we will be teaching the uh, email marketing course at the Marketing Insurance Summit in January, and also I believe we have it available on our website. And that's in Miami for all of you listeners in Minneapolis. <laughs> it will be warm. So let's, uh, let's dig deeper here into the uh, relevance element. Relevance is just the compatibility of the email message with the recipient's motivations. And we look at, at relevance in terms of two factors, internal and external. So what's internal factor? That means internal to the customer, to the recipient. And these are things like their personal interests, other psychographics, their shopping preferences, communication styles, and so on, things that are specific to that person. Now, on the external side, these are things like seasonality, uh, special discounts, uh, events either in the news or in the economy, uh, things that your competitors might be doing, and, uh, and so on. In fact, Daniel and I um, published a blog post on Monday uh, that really focuses on this idea of the holidays as a one form of seasonality and external relevance that gives you an opportunity to work on your website and make your website a lot more relevant to your customers. Uh, but as, we, as you can see, the, the heuristic that we uh, showed you is pretty, it seems pretty simple, right? Uh, the elements we just looked at, the internal and external relevance, you might look at it and say, oh, well, it's pretty straightforward, it's very obvious. But the, the kind of the beauty of the heuristic is that you can take apart these different contributing factors and really go through the exercise of listing out what are these different person, personal interests that, that are, are there, what are the demographics, and so on. What are the seasonal factors that you should take into account before you send your next email blast? And this really, going through that exercise, will help you craft the most relevant message. What's important to understand about internal and external relevance is how they're applied to customizing your, in this case, email campaign. So internal relevance factors will be applied to your email messages through segmentation because you will have different, let's say, demographic groups or different groups based on the person's um, shopping habits, for example, things like how much money they tend to spend per order or uh, how often they come back to your site, uh, as opposed to external relevance factors, which you will apply uh, across different segments because, obviously, if there's a, a certain special discount or special limited time offer or your competitor is doing something, that is something we will apply to all demographics and all personal interests and so on. Although, of course, if you want to get into more detail, there are certain crossovers, for example. You know, it's the holiday season now, but some people will be uh, shopping for Christmas gifts and others will not. So it doesn't mean that just because it's the holiday season, you can apply the same external relevance to all of your, let's say, demographic segments. Okay, well, thanks for those insights, Boris. Um, uh, this next slide is one that will strike terror in the hearts of many of you. Because <laughs> uh, we realized that we have just a few weeks left in the biggest selling season of the year. It's a season of forgiving, right? So uh, we couldn't teach a clinic in the beginning of December without giving you a real-world, real-time example of how to move the needle on your email campaigns in these next few critical weeks. Of course. Yeah, so, so here's a good example 
uh, of one of our research partners. Uh, this is a social networking site, a very large one, uh, that um, one of the features on the site, there's, there's a paid option. There's a, kind of a, I guess, a premier account that one user can buy for, for him or herself and also can gift to another user on the site. So they asked us last year uh, in December, so we kind of had that calendar in front of us uh, to quickly on the fly come up with a better idea of how to send out their, their holiday email to get their customers, whether they're current customers or they're currently subscribed to this premier option or customers that uh, never subscribe to it, to encourage them to buy this premier uh, account, not for themselves, but for other customers. So this idea of a gift. And so you can see here that the segmentation is a little bit more complex than in the first example. We have five different segments and they're uh, broken up along two dimensions. One dimension is whether the customer has or has not uh, purchased a gift for another customer in the past. So on the left side we have never gifted, on the right side we have has gifted. And also another way that this segment is list, or another dimension for segmentation is whether the customer is a current customer or is a lapsed customer or maybe has never been a paid customer of the site. Now when you work with your data, again this is a pretty important point because you can't always easily segment customers the way let's say American Feedings did into two very broad categories that did get them a very good result but there could be other sub-segments within each segment where you can get even higher degree of relevance. So here we have five different segments but there's probably an opportunity to, depending on what your offer is, depending on what kind of customers you have, how broad your customer base is, and how many different kinds of products you offer, segment uh, even deeper and along a lot more dimensions. And of course, uh, by the way, again, I'm, I'm probably going to emphasize this several times, within each segment, you can run a separate test to define, to figure out what message would be most relevant for that particular segment. But let's take a look at what we were able to put together for this research partner um, about a year ago. This is the current subscribers has gifted segment of customers. And you can see we, uh, we kind of covered up their mascot with a, with a more generic one, but it was kind of along those lines. Um, it, it was equally happy. And so here's, the, here's how external and internal relevance were applied in this message. It's, it's fairly straightforward uh, in the copy. I think you see the external relevance is very clearly stated. It's already too late to send through snail mail. We're, we're, emphasi uh, we're emphasizing the fact that, hey, the holidays are coming, and this is a great opportunity for you to give a gift without having to run out to the store or having to buy something online and wait for it to be shipped. Internal relevance here is also very specifically mentioned. So we have you know, copy like, you recently given one of your friends the generous gift of a subscription. And this really reminds this particular person in this segment that, yes, A, you have done this before. This is a purchase you've, you've already considered and selected. So you're actually you're reminding this customer that this is a decision you've already made. You get them much, more, uh, much closer to the idea that, hey, you can do this again. This is not a hard sell. Uh, or things like copy that says, you know, you know how great it is to be a subscriber. Again, this emphasizes the fact that we know this person is a subscriber. They're a current subscriber, so we're taking advantage of this information in order to craft an email in the most relevant way. So they appreciate the value of being a subscriber, and now we're just connecting it for them to how they can give that value to somebody else. Now let's take a look at a different segment here. So this is the current subscriber again, but one who has never gifted. So external relevance, again, um, like we were saying earlier, 
the external relevance is applied across segments. Uh, it's still the holiday season, so that's not going to change. How external relevance is now different. We know that this particular subscriber, even though they are subscribers, so we know they appreciate the value of this premium offer, at the same time we know that they have not purchased a gift for somebody else. So we're going to use that information to really sell them, so to speak, on this idea that, hey, you can offer this value to someone else. You can offer this value to your friend. So what's important to understand here is that both external relevance and internal relevance were used. By the way, we're not going to go through every single segment here, but just use these two to illustrate the point that both external and internal relevance can be used to customize your email messages uh, to your particular segment. Now let's think about here, what is, what is really the, the key point here over the relevance? We're going to talk in a minute about frequency and the best use of metrics uh, in your email campaigns, but I think what's important to point out, again, is that relevance, the fact that relevance is important, we already know. But why is it important? What is it, what is it going to do for you? On the one hand, of course, is the results. We just saw the results from American Greetings. Uh, our research partner had a substantial uptick in their conversion rate because of those emails that, that were sent out to the five different segments. But what's important going forward is to understand that these external and internal factors will influence your uh, frequency decisions. So things like special occasions, uh, holidays, demographics of your customer base, their psychographics will help you decide how often you should send your emails and maybe in a particular sequence how many emails you should send uh, before they don't want to get any more emails from you. Uh, without relevance-based segmentation also, it's important to understand that your metrics are not going to be as meaningful. Uh, I think, in fact, Corey uh, had a blog post recently that talked about uh, this idea of, of aggregate metrics in, in terms of uh, bounce rate not being very meaningful. And this is something that, goes, that applies really across the board. Um, a question we often get asked uh, at our events, uh, when we go out to other industry events, you know, what's a good conversion rate for my site? And that's kind of a, uh, we always kind of chuckle when we hear that because that's the one thing that really does not make sense to answer. Your website or your email message uh, or your PPC ad will never have a meaningful aggregate conversion rate. It's meaningful from the accounting perspective, but from the website optimization or email optimization or page search optimization perspective, that aggregate number really doesn't help you do anything because you don't really understand within that um, aggregate number you can have a group that's converting at a very high rate, you can have a group that's, connect, uh, that's uh, converting at a very low rate, and if you don't try to optimize your messaging, in this case email messaging, to each one of those groups individually, you're not going to be able to come up with, a, with an optimal version for each. Yeah, and I'll, I'll jump in there. We, uh, this is Corey talking. I worked with a partner in the past year who was, uh, we worked with their uh, domain parking portfolio, actually, and it was hundreds of thousands of parked pages that we worked with, and we were doing some template testing with them. Um, and so what we had scripted with them to do is to set up some templates, and they had multiple segments within um, the different domains that they parked. Um, so at first, they wanted to test on the parent level, which was the very aggregate side of um, the domains. Um, but with, we also started identifying subcategories as well. So on the aggregate level, the gains were pretty marginal. I would say, you know, in the 9 10% range of gain, which for them was still a big deal to their bottom line because we're talking about hundreds of thousands of domains out there. But what we found the real nuggets to be is when we nailed down and do the sub categories and deeper into these segments, we found that, you know, certain templates worked wildly better 
um, for certain segments where with others, you know, a different approach worked a lot better. So I cannot say how paramount it is for you as marketers to invest in really understanding your users and segmenting those and customizing your messages to reach out to them because as we talk about many times through most of our stuff, you know, specificity converts. And it really is true. The more time that you invest in understanding your users and putting them into buckets and reaching out to them is really when you guys are going to see um, the real nuggets and the real conversion rate um, lifts. Thank you, Corey, for that timely intervention. <laughs> what our listening audience may not know is that Boris, after speaking uh, for five minutes without taking a single breath, has passed out on the <laughs> We'll thank him his, for his contribution when he comes to. Okay. So once your email campaigns are relevant, now is the time to optimize your frequency to get the most value for each customer. Uh, from my many conversations with other marketers, I feel that many of you who aren't optimized for frequency currently may think about this issue in one of two ways. Either you think of it as like a Chicago gangster trying to get away with as much as you can, <laughs> hoping not to push your luck too much with your customers, or you have no specific metrics and testing protocol in place, and you just send based on gut feel or intuition or the consensus opinion of the great minds in your marketing group. We need to think of frequency the way we think of pricing. And if we don't optimize our frequency, if we don't test to discover the most valuable cadence for sending, we're leaving money on the table. And it's just as simple as that. Now let's get right into an experiment where a company was delivering relevant emails and Heather was helping them to discover the optimum frequency. Heather? Thanks, sir. So the purpose of this this section is to help you understand how do you determine what the best frequency is for your particular customer base. There's no really um, generic answer for this. Um, you know, some marketers think it's one a month, some marketers think it's five a month. It just depends on your list. But this segment will hopefully um, give you a baseline of understanding what you can do to determine the optimal frequency. So what this experiment does is it's basically taken from a test we ran with a large e-commerce company. Um, this company actually has a strong brand and a very strong online presence as well. So that's one thing you want to keep in mind um, as you're listening to this particular case study. What we did is we conducted a test to find their optimal send frequency based on generating the most revenue per particular segment of their list. So let's go ahead and take a look at the details. Okay, what you see here is just a, a simplistic version displaying the relationship between email frequency and net revenue. Your optimal frequency is going to be met when your revenue reaches that peak, so that's where that curve is pointing to. It's important that when you're monitoring frequency, you look at both revenue and unsubscribes when testing. Um, you'll have to also be mindful of the fact that you want to consider lifetime value for your customer and anticipate how that could play out over time as well. Corey, you've done some work on this before. Do you want to briefly expand on lifetime value for me? Uh, sure. Uh, in looking at this simplistic model, I, I think that it's important to point out when you're looking at your email campaigns, how it's performing, what kind of revenue you're generating, and uh, maybe plotting it against your unsubscribes or what type of people you're losing, uh, be careful that you understand the full impact of those unsubscribes. For many of us, the average lifetime value of a person can be more than just a single transaction, especially for some of our e-commerce people. But even for products and services, 
many times we get a lot of word of mouth or referral type business based on our current members. So please understand that unsubscribes is not just a number or not just a one-time transaction that you might be losing, but those can have deep impacts to your bottom line. So when you're you know, deciding, you know, this email generated X amount of total revenue, I lost this many unsubscribes, please understand what that impact really is, and sometimes that takes interfacing with, with your sales team or your accounting team to understand those lifetime values of your clients and be able to get those values. But I assure you, it, to really fully understand what you're doing and the impact that it is, it is worth it for you guys to have the due diligence and learning those lifetime values and really understanding your users and how much they're really worth, both when you acquire them and when you lose them. So, turn it back over to you, Heather. So let's look at how this particular um, case was broken down. Now, as Boris mentioned, segmentation is extremely, extremely important, and it comes into play when you're working on frequency as well. Not every customer you have is going to be reacting the same way. There are more loyal customers than others. So this particular test, we actually took a section of the, um, the full list, and you'll see that image on the left, where we just took a sample segment and divided it then into seven different frequencies, which you see on the right. The frequencies for this particular case actually ranged from every three weeks to once every other day. So um, basically the purpose of this was to find the ideal frequency for this particular segment. Now another thing to just note is that we did actually have limits set by the partner on this where we weren't able to go over 15 emails in a given month. So now we're going to go ahead and take a poll. Um, what do you think the optimal monthly frequency is for this particular company? Is it one to two emails per month, three to four emails per month, six to ten emails per month, or ten to fifteen emails per month? We're going to go ahead and open the poll. And one thing to keep in mind is to actually um, understand that this is a company well-known with loyal brands and loyal customers. So they're receiving newsletters and promotional emails as well. Okay, thanks, Heather. Uh, while uh, while we're waiting for the results here, and before Heather showed those to you, we wanted to see what your intuition tells you. Can your marketers guess what our testing discovered? We held a contest today on our blog and asked the same question, and interestingly enough, only two people guessed the correct answer. <laughs> so out of those, we flipped a coin and we picked a random winner, and congratulations to Sharon Moston who wins free access to a, the online certification course of uh, her choice on marketingexperiments.com, which is a $595 value. Nice guess, Sharon. The results of the poll actually indicated that about 50% of you said that the optimal frequency for this particular client was three to four a month, um, followed by six to ten a month. And you'll be shocking to see the results. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide. Okay. Um, so what does this look like? Well, in this particular example, you'll see that the frequency actually increased revenue. Um, more in, the more increase in frequency, the more increase we saw in revenue. So this one actually peaked out and popped off at 15 emails a month. And that's because we weren't allowed to go any further, right? Right. Yeah. Yep. Maybe we could have kept on going. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we want to we emphasize here that there's no one-size-fits-all. It's important to understand that the results you see are unique to this particular company. Um, you have to test your own experiments and con consider a broad range of frequencies and a broad range of segmentation when you're doing this to help you find your ideal 
for your customer. But it also brings up a good point that you have to consider unsubscribes. So we have to be cautious when we're sending more frequency that our unsubscribes are not increasing as well. Well, in this particular example, at first glance, you see that the projected unsubscribes are also increasing. But that's kind of to be expected because the more opportunity you send emails, the more opportunity there is for unsubscribes. So we wanted to go ahead and take a deeper look at this and not just judge by, by first instinct. So let's go ahead and show you what that looks like. So this particular slide here looks at open, I'm sorry, um, unsubscribe rate. The orange line you're looking at is actually a linear, linear regression. And what you see is there's a, a gentle slope, which is a less of an issue. Um, it's a slower rate, so it's not to be as alarming. Um, we see here that the unsubscribe rate actually not increased. So that means basically that, you know, although the unsubscribes, the number of unsubscribes went up, the number of unsubscribes per message did not increase. So what it looks like is that the users aren't really being irritated by the changes in the frequency. But there's another question that you need to ask yourself. Is it that they're not being irritated or is it that they are actually ignoring the email? So looking at open rate, um, which we have on the next slide here, gives a deeper look in that. Um, it can answer that question. This particular test actually also showed that open rate was not significantly influenced by our range of frequency. Once again, as you saw in the last example, that orange line is a slope, and it actually is a very gentle slope again, and it's not statistically meaningful. This chart that you're actually looking at represents all of the results within a given test period. So there are a few outliers you see on those gentle dots on the bottoms and, and sides of the actual ellipses, but the actual ellipses represent 95% of all of our observations that fall within that range. So this just demonstrates the range of different distributions. I'm going to go ahead and throw some statistical um, meaningfulness to those of you that are statistically savvy and just let you know that the correlation coefficient for the open rate was actually 0.07, which indicates that there is no significant correlation between the send frequency and the open rate. Also, the coefficient of determination, which is R squared, told us that at most 8% of the variation in open rate can be explained by the frequency. So what does this mean? To summarize, increasing email frequency can have the potential to increase your revenue. In this particular example, we see that 15 emails a month compared to their original um, best practice, which was four emails a month, actually tripled their total monthly revenue. Then this actually did not have a negative effect on their relationship with their customer base as well. For this particular segment, it's important that you go ahead and expand your testing and test upon all segments because, like I said, there's not a one-size-fits-all for this. So what do, you, what do we learn from this? We learn that frequency is definitely related to your relationships with your lists and your motivations. It also relates to your brand and your overall perception. People or companies, rather, that have a high brand, of strong brand recognition that are, you know, e-commerce based and have a strong clientele typically enjoy higher optimum email frequencies because consumers are, are used to them and loyal to them. So it may be easier for a customer to overlook someone that's more, you know, recognizable in a brand that, they, that they're familiar with. You have to also consider that, as Boris mentioned, you have to always be relevant. Don't just increase your frequency, you know, just to send additional messages. They have to be relevant messages to the segment that you're targeting. So it can be, for this particular example, what we actually did was increase reminders. So we sent newsletters on, let's say, a Monday. We sent a reminder on a Wednesday. We sent a promotion on a Thursday. And then we sent a reminder again towards the end of the week. So just to kind of help keep the, the communication open with them. 
Now again, frequency is always different for different segments, so the bottom line is to test. One more key point that I want to bring up too, and you have to always consider when you're looking at frequency, is to consider anti-spam regulations. Um, you need to ask yourself these questions. What does the law consider spam? What do email service providers consider spam? And what do your recipients consider spam? On the actual bottom of this uh, slide here, you'll see a link that we provided, and it will take you to the Federal Trade Commission for more information on CAN-SPAM Act. But one of the things that you can um, try to do to avoid risk of running afoul with your email service providers and actual spam services um, during frequency testing is to actually go ahead and contact your major email service providers and let them know that you are going to be testing different frequencies. If you're, you know, advise them that you're committed to being responsible, asking them about their thresholds and how to avoid violating that. You want to go ahead and give them 24-7 contact information for your project manager and ask that they please contact you before taking any action. This can potentially avoid you from getting blacklisted, especially when you're sending 15 to 20 emails a month. Okay, thank you, Heather. So having perfect relevance and optimal frequency to maximize your revenue is rewarding, but you can't find out how much you're really making from email without the proper metrics, right, Corey? Absolutely. And according to Marketing Sherpa's 2010 email benchmark report, 65% of your peers say measuring and improving ROI of email marketing programs will increase in importance in the next year. Gosh, seems kind of like a no-brainer, doesn't it? <laughs> 2010 is shaping up to be another year like 2009 in which marketers will have to justify every dollar that they spend with measurable ROI. And they'll have to demonstrate to their CFOs and CEOs the answer to their favorite question, which is what's in it for me? So perhaps 100 years ago, John Wanamaker could get away without knowing where his marketing spend went because none of his competitors knew either. But that's just not the case today. Maybe some of your marketing peers who still work in old world media can fly blind, but today you simply can't stay competitive in online marketing without having good ROI information. And the data is available, reams and reams of it. Now, of course, for some of us, there's so much data that you just don't know what to do with it all. So we're going to ask Corey to come on again and walk us through a few ways to ensure that our email is performing for us. Corey? Thanks, Greg. A couple things I wanted to touch on in this segment of uh, using metrics to quantify our email efforts is, one, looking at tracking what is the bottom line results or a, a good approximation of that with our efforts in email. Um, I'm sure some of you have had conversations with your CMO or CEO where you might have shared with them, hey, you know, we just launched a new email, we're getting 30% open rate, and, you know, we're getting a much better click-through rate. And some of them might have looked at you and went, so, you know, and what, what does that really mean? And quantifying past percentages, what is the potential bottom line impact to what we're doing, and uh, really how does that keep us in our jobs and keep our businesses afloat and knowing those numbers. Second, we're going to look at how do we segment email traffic and measuring their response, looking at where these people go, where these people go when they come on your site, where they come on your landing pages, when they come to your lead generation forms, how do they perform, and looking at segmentation that way as well. We're all about segmentation today, so you'll hear that a couple more times before the time is uh, over for today. Um, so I wanted to touch on first quantifying value. I find that this is an important step when you're first trying to build out this metrics portion of your email sends. Um, so when you, here's a B2B example where 
Um, to kind of help quantify some of your email efforts, um, you first need to perhaps interface with your sales close team. So you go to them and talk to them. For leads that you get from most of our landing pages, what is your average close rate? Um, so from there, you can talk to them about what's their average sales per lead. So from there, you can extrapolate, uh, and we use percentages here, 10 and $50. So a goal value that we can accept for a form submission from an email is $5. Um, so using that data, um, and, and I use a B2B example here, but you can use you know, tons of B2C examples, whether that be you know, average order size, how many orders that you close for people that come on the website. There's many metrics you can use for the B2C example, but sometimes it's harder for people to connect the B2B aspect of it, so that's why I felt it pertinent to show this example. So now that we're armed with that knowledge, let's walk through a goal creation um, in Google Analytics. I chose this one simply from the feedback that I've gotten from many of our viewers that this is kind of the tool choice for them. It's something that's free out there, but I will say a caveat in the beginning that most metrics programs will perform a similar function to this. Um, so we're creating a goal name um, within our Google Analytics named June Marketing Email 1. Um, and some of these steps are out of sequence because I think it flows better logically, but you might see some differences on your Google goal creation page. Um, so the next uh, photo we're going to look at, which is the top right image, is we're defining our funnel minus the conversion step. So the first step that we're looking at is the land on um, the landing page. You could also make the first step a click from in the email. Uh, Google has a pretty uh, great tool, a URL builder, which we'll provide a link to after the clinic. Uh, but you could also build that in the first step, and Google Analytics can actually interface with clicks in an email if you're not currently tracking that. You know, perhaps you don't have an ESP as wonderful as Exact Target, um, but you can still have that metrics built in there as well. It might not be as robust, but can give you some good information. The second step, which is something that's interesting to me to measure on form pages and different types of landing pages, um, but what we have here, and it's kind of truncated and hard to see, but it's June newsletter first name. And so what I do typically there is for a form collection, I'll actually place an on-click event um, on the first form of the, or the first field in the form. So anytime a user actually clicks in the form to start it at the first name, it'll actually trigger in my analytics a hit to that made-up page. Um, moving down to the last image, we put our goal URL, which is our thank you page for submitting the form, and the last red box item, the goal value, which is $5, which is what we calculated in the last step. So with all this information, once we send out our emails, which we can build different goals for different emails and tack them up separately, we can start to get more meaningful results in our metrics programs. So you can see goal conversions within um, your Google Analytics or whatever metrics program that you have. Um, you can see it per email. You can also get estimated revenue projections as well based on your efforts in email. So all this really leads to more actionable reports and really understanding what is the bottom line impact of our email efforts. So you can actually go to your CEO and your CMO and quantify what your efforts are. Sometimes it's a little less than we expected, but sometimes you might be astounded at what small changes can really mean to your business, and you can really become 
I would say the internal hero, if you will, of your company, and you can really put some meat behind it. Again, this is all approximation, so you need to do um, your diligence and checking to make sure that those rates are staying the same, so that those leads are still as good, and you're still evaluating them at proper values. But again, this can give you pretty good actionable data. Moving forward, the second thing I'm going to talk about is segmenting and measuring response. Um, so not only are we quantifying our gains in email, but for f some of us, we're not sending email traffic just to a landing page to convert or just to a sales form to put their information in. Sometimes it might be just general news. It might be sharing what your company has done this uh, month or things of that nature, and it's you know, really important for them to get those metrics as well. It's not sheerly a dollars game, but you're interested to see how those email candidates are moving through your website, where they're going. Um, again, we're going to use a Google Analytics example, but for those people, what you can do is set up maybe a separate profile for your email traffic. Um, within that profile, you can also filter based on your email traffic, and so what that will do is generate dashboards, top content, all those types of reports that are going to be relevant just to that email traffic. So you'll get to see, you know, what are some of the top pages those email traffic, you know, frequent most. And it cleans up the data a little bit better than advanced segmentation might do. It can also, you know, again, give you reports that are more specific to that traffic. However, it does behoove us sometimes to create advanced segmentation within our profiles to kind of cross-segment our data and see how conversion rates are being affected. So, for example, within our profile, we can create advanced segments looking at perhaps we're sending multiple emails or, you know, doing some split testing. Well, I can go into my content reports and see how different emails are interacting with the site, what their conversion rate differences might be. Uh, maybe our average orders are changing if you have e-commerce tagged up. Um, so we can really get a wealth of information if we take the time to set up our profiles and really it all boils down to understanding your users better and how you can serve them. So based on where they're going in the site and how they're performing, you might want to change up your um, content in your email a little bit more to explain maybe the process a little bit better. Or maybe you create special pages for that traffic to go to because you see that they're getting hung up at a certain point. All that stuff can lead to actionable items for your business to take uh, to really make a better experience for your user and, and it, in the final step, communicating relevant messages to your segments and understanding what they need. So I'll hand it back over to Greg. Okay, thanks, Corey. We've had a lot of questions from our audience, so let's sum up quickly uh, some of the discoveries and key takeaways, and then we'll try and uh, address as many of these questions as possible. Uh, Boris uh, showed you some simple ways to ensure your campaigns are relevant. Good news is we've revived Boris. <laughs> I'm okay, everyone. The bad news is we need Boris once again to talk as fast as he can to answer three questions, and then we're going to let Heather go next. Go ahead, Boris. All right. Let me sum up, actually, by answering a couple of questions from the audience. And thank you for sending a lot of very, very interesting questions. Um, we'll, the ones we don't get to, we'll try to get to as many as possible on the blog that will come out after the, after the clinic, clinic. But here's a question from Michelle. Uh, regarding the American Greetings case study, she says, this assumes you have a lot of data on each individual. What if you only have uh, an opt-in database with email only, like newsletter sign-up? Well, this, is, uh, this really illustrates a very critical point. 
sometimes it's difficult to get information about your customer. In the example of American Greetings, they were able to capitalize on their transactional database to segment their, their list. So what do you do if you don't have a lot of information? Uh, this is really very, very important. Every interaction that your customer has, a visitor has with your website, has to be, can be used and has to be used for the purposes of segmentation. So, for example, as Michelle said, you know, what if you only have a news, newsletter sign-up and that's all you have? Well, you actually should know quite a bit more about that customer than just the fact that they signed up for your newsletter. You should know which, let's say, paid search ad or banner ad or other referrer they arrive at your site from. You should know, for example, if a lot of companies typically have a newsletter sign-up that's persistent throughout their site. You should know which page that person was on when they opted into a newsletter. And, and so on. You should know which pages on your site that particular person before signing up for the newsletter or even after signing up for the newsletter tended to frequent. All this information can be used in order, in order to put together your segment. And also importantly, uh, that information can eventually still be connected, hopefully, to your transactional database. So you know that people who signed up for a newsletter on a certain page uh, are more or less likely, for example, to purchase a certain product. That's information you can definitely use to your advantage to craft a more specific message, a more relevant message to your customer. So again, the key point here is use everything you know about that customer's behavior on your site, even if you don't have an order database, if there's no transactions that have occurred so far. You can still use that information to segment. Now, this relates, and I wanted to cover a second question from Kirk that's really related, and he asks, if you don't have a way of connecting your list to the purchases, how do you direct, uh, how do you dissect the list by purchase preference? We have no idea who buys what without going through thousands of accounts manually. Well, Kirk, it's really critical that you do record all the transactional data and you are able to connect it to your customers and connect it to your web analytics. That's really going to uh, put you on a whole different level. And the way you do it, sometimes you may have a large catalog of products. That means you need to be able to think preemptively and uh, categorize those products and categorize them in terms of how you're going to segment. You might want to segment your list in the future. So a lot of... Um, shopping cart systems and so on allow tagging and other features that allow you to create multiple categories. So when you add another product to your catalog, you can actually assign different categories to it so that later when you look at your transactional database, you can divide up those customers along those categories of product that you have predefined. So you kind of have to think ahead, but what you want to do is ultimately also connect those uh, transactional, that transactional data to your web analytics. So the behavior of the client or the customer on your website, how does that particular behavior translate into dollars? And you can use that information as well to segment your list. Okay, uh, let's uh, quickly hear from Heather. She showed you some ideas about finding optimal frequency. Uh, Heather, you want to summarize and maybe answer one or two of your questions? Sure. Like I mentioned before, your optimal frequency is always going to be relate, related to the relationship you have with your consumers. So you want to go ahead and segment your lists accordingly and test different relevancy or frequency options to try to determine the best one for each of those segments. You never know how much revenue you're actually going to be leaving on the table by not sending enough emails or sending too much. So I have some questions here. Um, James asks, what counted as an email? Total emails to each individual? The number of emails, the 15 per month that I said, was actually sent per message per individual. So um, each individual in that particular segment received 15 emails a month. Now, you want to keep in mind that those 15 emails a month were just baseline. And during this particular testing period, um, this is actually a low part of the season. It wasn't tested during uh, peak season. So you have to consider seasonality comes into play as well, obviously, during um, 
for example, the Christmas season, you would likely increase your frequency um, based upon different sales and promotions you're having. So keep that in mind as well. Um, another question I have here from Michael is, is there a recommended number of words per email? <laughs> well, that actually has to be conducted in tests. There's no real answer to that. Um, a lot of e-commerce e companies actually like to just send image-only emails. And you have to be mindful of the fact that a lot of people may not be able to see um, image-based solely emails, so you want to consider including text as well. Um, but you have to definitely test long email versus short email versus image because each, your, each of your consumer base is going to behave differently. Uh, and finally, is from Susan, is there a way to minimize emails with images being dumped into spam? Any way to code that helps? Like I mentioned, um, you want to make sure that there's definitely text in your email rather than just solely images. Um, it can be seen as a lack of content, particularly for different email service providers. So you want to be more than certain to include that as a backup as well. Okay, let's give, uh, let's give Corey a shot here. We're running out of time, but uh, uh, Corey showed us how to quantify the real value of our email campaigns. Corey, you want to sum it up? Sure, and I'm going to apologize in advance. Some of these questions got kind of technical, um, which I'm going to follow up. Uh, possibly with the blog post explaining some of these items. Um, but first, Tom had a question. How do you capture that first click in the form? Is that a validation function within the form itself? Is it a hyperlink that users have to click, um, et cetera? Actually, what you can do is within form fields in the code, you can actually apply a JavaScript on-click event um, within the field that you want to capture. So within that on-click function, you're actually going to post a call to the Google Analytics and make up a page. Um, in, in my example, I made up a page, I think it was June 1 newsletter slash firstname.html. So anytime a user, once in their unique session, clicks into that form field, it's going to log an event to that page. Um, so there's no validation that needs to occur. You need to make sure you do your um, due diligence in your JavaScript to make sure that's only occurring once so you don't muddy up your analytics. But again, I'll follow up with that and not um, blow too many gaskets out there. Um, so um, Patty asked, is it possible to track specific clicks within my emails within Google? Uh, can I attach Google into my emails? Um, I'm proud to say that you actually do not have to include Google Analytics code specifically in your emails. What you can actually do is for each individual link in your uh, email, what you can do is actually create URLs um, that carry over certain functions that Google Analytics will recognize. That's the tool I was talking about um, with the URL builder. So for the destination page that you want them to go to, you plug in that URL, and then based on certain um, categories that you can assign it, you type in and Google will generate out a URL that you need to use in your email. And most of us are used to using links in our emails that have variables in it anyway. So what you do is you post that variable in. As a user clicks it in your email, Google Analytics will recognize that click once it comes to the site, where they came from, and all those variables um, that you decided to assign that link. Um, I find it pertinent sometimes with our emails that we have um, links to the same page in multiple locations. So within Google Analytics, you can actually tag up those URLs separately to see where people are clicking. And that can be some important information when you're looking at where you're engaging people in your emails 
and where they're finding the important content. Um, so there could be a wealth of information that you can um, gain out of there. And I think we're getting low on time, so I'm going to have to follow up with these on. Lots, lots more questions, <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we will have to follow up. For those questions we didn't have a chance to answer on today's clinic, we will aggravate them into topics you were most curious about and address them next Wednesday on the blog in Web Clinics Extra. And I'm sure these folks will be blogging, and maybe they'll be able to respond to some of these very specific questions as well. Um, we've been limited to just 60 minutes to delve into some major email marketing opportunities, so we simply couldn't explore all of these issues with the breadth and depth they deserve. I recommend highly, if you'd really like to heat up your email campaigns, to check into Marketing Sherpa's Email Summit uh, 2010, which takes place in January in Miami. There are B2C and B2B tracks. You'll hear Dr. Flint McLaughlin, the director of Mech Labs, our parent company, discuss the five best ways to optimize email response. And plus, Marketing Experiments will be teaching a pre-summit live optimization workshop to help you maximize your email capture rate and quality. So you can learn more at marketingsherpa.com slash emailsummit2010. And if you attend, be sure to come by our booth and say hello to us. There's nothing more rewarding than hearing about your successes. And it's useful to us to hear about your challenges so we can address them in uh, future web clinics. So thanks for joining us today. I'd like to thank Boris, Heather, Corey uh, for stepping away from the lab to share their talents with us. A replay of this clinic along with a full report about its contents will be available on marketingexperiments.com next Wednesday and we'll email you when it's ready. Uh, again, 60 minutes is never really enough to get as deep into these topics as we'd like. And for more information on our methodologies, our protocols, our heuristics behind the research, please visit marketingexperiments.com slash training. And if you have a particularly vexing uh, online marketing challenge, give Andy Mott a call at 904-339-0068 and see if it might be a good fit for our real-world uh, research program. And you can also learn more about these research partnerships at marketingexperiments.com partners. And please do fill out a survey when you exit. We use that information to craft these clinics, and we want to make sure we're addressing your most important online marketing issues. Thank you again for attending, and remember, keep testing. You never know what you may learn. Thank you for listening to this recording of the Marketing Experiments Web Clinic. You can sign up to receive invites to future web clinics, along with $10 million worth of research on marketingexperiments.com.